Hello everyone, my name is John St. Amand. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer and weightlifting coach in Bedford, Nova Scotia, Canada. Welcome back for another episode of the Box Jumper Podcast. We all have people that inspire us. Think about people in your life that have influenced you, guided you, shaped your direction as a person. They may have inspired you personally, professionally, or both. Do you have one in mind? Well, get ready to meet one of mine. Mike Malloy is one of the first coaches I had back in my earliest days of CrossFit, not long after starting in 2015. Granted, my intro to CrossFit may not have been as long ago as it may have been for many of you. The fitness methodology wasn't new in 2015, but it was on a significant upswing in awareness and popularity at the time. No longer the domain of purely the fitness black sheep, the methodology known for its intense blend of gymnastics, cardio, Olympic weightlifting, bodyweight movements, and more, had crossed over a little bit more into the mainstream, even if still viewed with skepticism by many. Um, I was one of the, the skeptics, but I was open-minded. And so when I walked into an affiliate uh, that I joined in the fall of 2015 at the urging of some friends of mine who were a few months into it, and I saw a mix of very fit and aspiring to be fit men and women of all ages and backgrounds smoothly throwing barbells around, jumping on boxes, swinging kettlebells, tossing med balls, kipping big sets of pull-ups, my reservations melted away. Like many people, I found a particular time of day that worked best for me to get my workout in among the classes available on the schedule. For me, I picked first thing in the morning. I was an early riser already, and it was, you know, for me, it was kind of hard to have any excuses other than failing to get up in time to keep me out of the workout. It's hard for life responsibilities to get in the way when the sun hasn't even come up. As it happens, Mike Malloy was like me. Uh, a dad with younger kids than mine, um, and a busy day job, active schedule later in the day with kids and family responsibilities. And so when he started coaching, he frequently coached early morning classes. And that's when I got to know Mike as a trainer. He was a blend of talents that you would hope for in a coach standing in front of the room. He was comfortable and entertaining. He was knowledgeable and skilled at explaining just how to perform the movements, but also why the movements are performed in a certain way and how they translate to your daily life, and he capably guided the class through the program workout so that we got our sweat on in the allotted time, and then he was able to send us out the door to the rest of our day. When I started CrossFit, I just wanted to get fit. I was just north of 40. I had been chasing a fitness routine that would fit into my life and, in particular, my psychological needs for many years at that point. And it didn't take long for CrossFit to click for me. Uh, the combination of individual performance mixed with a little friendly peer pressure uh, in a group class environment, the sense of community with your classmates, and objective, observable, repeatable metrics to confirm progress and motivate you to keep coming back. That had me hooked. The linchpin holding it all together was coaching. It was invaluable to have someone knowledgeable watching you move and correcting the movement, giving you tips and encouragement along the way. Coaching in that environment feels very individualized, even when in that small group setting. And so when Mike, with his combination of knowledge and a keen watchful eye and an entertaining persona, led so many of the 6 a.m. classes that I frequented, it had an impact on me. I'm not sure I ever expressed it to Mike uh, how much until I asked him to be a guest on the podcast. I told him I wanted to make the episode about a coach that influenced me, not just as an athlete, but importantly had a role in inspiring me to become a coach myself. So, let's geek out on a little banter between coaches. In 10 seconds, I'll talk with CrossFit trainer Mike Malloy about what got him started, what inspires him, and some of his favorite memories uh, leading from the front of a class.
thanks, Mike, for, for coming and talking to me. Um, this was uh, uh, really, honestly, I feel like I'm, I'm overdue having you as a guest on the podcast, first <laughs> of all. But, um, you know, I, I kept trying to come up with, um, you know, a, a suitable topic to to bring you in and, and have it feel a little bit more natural. Right. Um, and, you know, when I when I started thinking about an opportunity to sit down with you and, and talk, what it what it immediately made me think of is that you were one of the very first coaches that I found influential in my experience with CrossFit, um, even though you didn't start coaching me right from day one at least mm-hmm. in my memory you did but that's just probably the head injuries that i managed to bring <laughs> to myself in the first couple of months of crossfit but um you know for me looking back at why i'm doing what i'm doing now it has a lot to do with some of the first people that that were influential in my learning about the sport and right. getting involved so um that was that was my idea of, of uh, where we would focus is, I mean, I, you know, not, not to labor on that too much, mm-hmm. just the idea of, you know, I, you're, the, you're one of the reasons that I'm even in this space at all. Huh. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the entire community that I'm part of. Um, and, you know, had I not been exposed to you as a coach... I don't think I ultimately would have become a coach. Um, and, you know, that that to me is is kind of an interesting path that I've taken. So I'm curious, how did you wind up becoming a coach? So let, let's let's talk about the, the very early beginnings. What yeah. what sports were you involved in as a kid that led you to CrossFit ultimately? Um, you know, as a kid, I wasn't uh, I wasn't sort of into like elite type sports. Um, I played, I played soccer, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of schoolyard stuff. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Winnipeg, so it was never hard to find a street hockey game. Um, <laughs> right. but I never played organized sports other than like soccer in the summertime. Um, you know, through school, I played basketball and volleyball and, uh, that kind of stuff. I, I didn't really have, um, you know, I, I didn't really have that kind of, elite path after high school you know I wasn't gonna go wasn't gonna go off and play varsity you know basketball or anything I, right. I would have been a very very small point guard um <laughs> at the time and and honestly at, at that point I was you know I was looking around me and it was like okay it's time to focus on the studies um not that I had had put a lot of emphasis on the sports side of things um but really just grew up grew up an active outdoor kid mm-hmm. yeah um, so, I mean, so that's kind of, that's kind of my, my sportive background. And then of course, you know, as you, uh, get a little bit older and you get into adulthood and you, you know, you become this person that's now sitting around at a desk or whatever, and you, right. you have this grown up job and you're like, okay, well, what do I do to remain, you know, active and, and have fun and stuff like that. And, uh, y- you know, I, I started playing, I started playing ultimate Frisbee in, in Toronto um, and this was a long time ago. This was a uh, nineteen ninety eight ish, I think ninety seven, ninety eight, around there. Uh, Ultimate frisbee was pretty big there, um, and then uh, moved out here uh, to Halifax uh, a couple years later. And the community was very, very small, like less than a hundred people mm-hmm. um, in the community here. So a nice tight knit community to kind of get into um, and keep really active. You know, it, that was in my, you know, I'd be in my late 20s at that point. Um, 
<clears throat> and uh, so really just kind of going kind of back to those outdoor schoolyard sports again, except, uh, you know, or, organized adult sport. <laughs> right. More the, the pickup league kind of stuff. yeah exactly yeah. i mean you know uh, there was there was a chance you know to to be in and among you know the elite of even of that community and and travel and compete and play um and a lot of those people it's funny a lot of those people are still doing that and they're now you know in their 50s right um so you know th- that opportunity to to always play shall we say with somebody better than you mm-hmm. was always there um and I always liked that, you know, and then um, I began kind of running after that, you know, as a, as an adult, you, you, you it's, you know, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to run. There's, there's 5k races and 10k races and half marathons and uh, all these things you can do uh, to kind of keep yourself active. And if running is one of those things that you enjoy, and I know a lot of people run that don't enjoy it, mm. um, but if running is one of those things that you enjoy, and um, I certainly did at the time, I, I put a lot of time and energy into my running. Um, that was, I was never a great runner as a kid. I always had an engine, but I never, you know, I, I was never one of those effortless uh, gazelles that run. Um, but, you know, as an adult, I uh, continued continued to run, uh, you know, amassing the the participation medals the fi- the finisher <laughs> yeah. the finisher medals sorry they're not participation medals <laughs> but they are uh you know finisher medals and t-shirts and that kind of stuff and yeah so i mean that's that kind of led me into the the path of like you know lifetime fitness for me just it it may change in the way it looks mm-hmm. but the underlying premise is you know just keep moving right right and and find a way to and and when you're young it doesn't matter really what you're doing there there's not there's not really if if you're just kind of the casual casual fitness person or casual runner recreational runner fun runner um there isn't a whole lot of uh planning and prioritization mm-hmm I feel I don't even remember the question. <laughs> it was what was I doing as a kid? Well, yeah, just a lot of like schoolyard stuff and street hockey and and well, stuff. And, that... and running is one of those things that because I, I ran for quite a long time before I found CrossFit as well. Um, I tried cycling. I, I uh, <laughs> it was you know before Lance Armstrong had been busted. Uh, so I, I was I was picturing the uh, oh yeah you know I'll, I'll get myself really built up to the elite level of the sport. I'm a smaller athlete, so I figured eh, you know that that works to my advantage. Uh, little did I know, and and I I wasn't really realizing the fact that a smaller doesn't necessarily help you. I mean I have short limbs, so that that right right away was a knock against me. But the the challenge that I found was that getting out to train was difficult. I mean. Our combination of climate and the fact that, you know, there's only so many hours in the day that are yeah. available for you to go out safely and not get hit by a car. Um, you know, I, I suddenly found myself scrambling to be able to get out and do a bike ride. And to get the kind of workout that I wanted, I had to go out for an hour or two hours at a time. Sure. So trying to squeeze that in when you've got life responsibilities outside of training was challenging. So I, I pivoted to running because I found it fit my schedule a little bit better and I yeah. could get a similar uh, overall workout in a shorter time frame because, you know, you're not on wheels and sure. going uphill or downhill still punishing whether you're uh, on your feet or not. So um, I, I transitioned to running, but then my knees started to go. 
and mm-hmm. so I, I needed to find something else. So how how did you get introduced to CrossFit? Like what what was your introduction to the sport overall? Um, I was uh, you know I was a young I was a young father, um, um, and you know I, I I had just just heard that this this thing was was kind of getting started in the area, this thing called CrossFit. Um, and people were kind of like, it's really cool. You like, you should try it. There's, there's weightlifting and there's all this other stuff. And you know, it's not like, it's not like a gym you've ever seen before. And so, uh, one day I was out for a run. Um, so funny, you know, cause I was just, you know, I was just out running around and, uh, I decided I would, I would run down to this, this place where, um, you know, a family member had been mm-hmm. once or twice. Um, and it was a s- Sunday afternoon and, um, I kind of knocked on the door and really nothing was going on. I, I did not understand the, the mechanics of a box and how, how the CrossFit, you know, scheduling worked and all this other stuff. So I kind of knocked on the door and I gave it a push and it opened up and it was like a, f- a front desk, it was like this tiny little warehouse with a front desk and there was a wall behind it. So I kind of listened and there was crashing and banging going on behind it. And so I kind of pushed open the door and there was, you know, four or five people in there and they were, you know, smashing the weights around. And I didn't know what the hell was going on and I didn't know who was in charge or anything like that. <laughs> I just knew I was supposed to look for this guy. So I said, um, does anybody know who this this person is? And this, you know, that person came over and, you know, told me who he was. And so I just chatted with him and he's like, yeah, uh, just like drop me an email and, uh, I'll, I'll get you hooked up. So, um, I did that shortly after. And that was, you know, I, I think we, you know, we just kind of looked back in my, my Facebook pictures and, um, that was in like early 2013. So, um, that's kind of how I found out about CrossFit. I mean, it was, it was literally just from one person, uh, you know, uh, you know, it was 2013. So news didn't travel quite as fast. Mm. Um, and it was relatively new to the to this area at that point, right? Yeah, I don't know how many um, how many CrossFit boxes there were in this area. Maybe maybe three or four. Three or four is kind maybe of what three I'm or thinking, four yeah. that I can think of. Um, and uh, so I just you know I signed up and um, kind of got rolling with it then. And uh, you know you hit that learning curve. Um, but it's exciting, you know, and and you if you're the type of person that likes to get into something new uh, and feel that feedback loop of getting good at things, yeah, um, then you know it's the same thing, right? You, you you run, you track your stats, you go for PBs, you compare your old runs, mm-hmm. you you cycle, you you look at your um, you know you look at your power output or you look at your your average pace on the same ride as you've done before, um, you know, you, you, you see yourself getting better at things and, and kind of that was, that was the first introduction for me. Did you, did you start doing classes right away on a regular schedule or was it, you know, just some drop-ins initially before you were hooked? Um, I, I went, I started doing the classes kind of as, as best I could, um, at the time, um, it was, it's funny, it was spring, so people were, um, or was it, yeah, it was either spring or kind of late winter. There's not much of a difference around here. <laughs> um, and people were 
uh, it had to be had to be March. So uh, because people were still doing open workouts, and I didn't understand. I didn't understand what that was at all. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was a really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was. Um, yeah, I, I was coming to classes regularly at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we lived in the we lived uh, very close to it, so it was really only a five minute drive. Um, so I think that was a that's a that's a key bonus, right? Mm-hmm. Making it you know accessible, approachable, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. Do you remember what your first workout was? Oh, or what some of the components were. Um, there's a couple of things I do remember. One, I remember the sled pulls, um, just as part of one of the, the workouts, um, because that was the first time I almost threw up from a leg workout. (laughs) Like, you know, and not, not because you're running and you're gassed and you like, you stop and then you like throw up in your mouth a little bit, like, (laughs) like you do at a finish line for, for like a hard half marathon or something like that. But I, so I remember doing the sled pulls and I remember doing, uh, was it Angie that we just said? Uh, Nancy. Nan- Nancy. Um, yeah, Nancy, which is um, five rounds of uh, overhead squats and uh, a 400-meter run. Mm. Uh, so I remember that one distinctly. Mainly, I, part of that's just geography. Like, I remember running around that building. Yeah. And, it's, and it just seemed like it was interminable. Um, so I do remember that. But the other thing I remember, and I, I look back fondly on it, and I'm sure this, you know, you'll... you'll uh, both relate to it and maybe we'll talk about it um, is some of the modifications that I was, I was given at the time Mm -hmm. because I was so new. Like I was doing like, like tiny little step ups instead of, instead of like box jumps and stuff like that. Like you just, you're, you know, you're so you're, you know, you're what they call a deconditioned athlete or um, you're, you're just basically a newbie. Right. So they, they don't want to give you something in a, you know, a coach doesn't want to give you something in a workout that you're going to suffer at or get hurt right, right away. So I remember some of those, uh, those, those scaled options and adaptations that, that I was doing back then. And uh, at one point I sort of looked back at it and I was like, what, what exactly was I trying to accomplish there? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, you know, and it's funny, you sort of grow and you don't, you don't realize it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How did you wind up becoming a coach where is that something that you had always aspired to do or had you coached in other sports before you joined CrossFit and therefore you just made that that click in your head said oh I could help other people get introduced to this thing um I I don't think I never saw I never saw coaching as being like an ambassador at first Mm -hmm. um you know like recruiting people and getting people into it and and that kind of thing I always, uh, I always looked to the people that knew more than I did. Uh, and, you know, at, at some point it sort of clicks that y- you are becoming that person for other people. Mm. And, and it never really, it never really dawned on me to kind of become that coach, uh, in those early years like that, my entire, so the first you know, the first CrossFit box I was at, I was at for about two years. Um, um, and they had moved once and I really liked the community there. Uh, it was great. Um, and I, I had my, my, I wouldn't say my interest had waned, but my, 
uh, my fire had had gotten a little cooler right. about it, and and I don't know what it was. I don't. I, I certainly don't blame. I don't blame the, the you know the sport of CrossFit for that. I, I didn't get. I didn't get bored of the variety or anything <laughs> like that. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hate the coaching. I didn't get hurt. Um, you know, it wasn't anything like that. I'm sure it was just you know young parent. By that point, I'd had my third kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, life was busy. You're you're not really squeezing it in. Um, so that was kind of. You know that was like my first two years. You know, you you you. It's like this bell curve of it. it, it for me, it was this bell curve of interest to sort of waned, mm-hmm. um, and then um, you know I realized that you know that was missing in my life, and I and I wasn't um, I wasn't replacing it with something else very effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I had kids playing hockey. Um, you know, my oldest at the at that point was playing hockey, and the first thing you do when when your kid plays hockey is you put the skates on and you go help out. Mm. Um, so you, you become just by accident, a coach. Right. Um, and, and, and you, you, you teach kids and you, you, you guide people through things. Um, and, and, you know, by nature of you kind of being older and having more experience there, um, you know, you become that coach. Um, for me, uh, I, I became that, person that knew more than other people when I went to, um, you know, what is now currently the box that you and I both work out at, um, and coach at. Um, so when I had gone there, um, it, it, it sparked my, my flame again and and it it relit my excitement for it. And it was this very small and up and coming box. And I think I was like number 30 on the, on the founding 50 or, or or something like that. I might've even, I might've even been in sooner than that. I think the box had only been open for two weeks by the time that I heard about it. And instantly, you know, it was one of those things where, I mean, you, you've done it before. You, you sign up for some race that you're, you know you're not ready for, but you know that mm-hmm. if I sign up for it, I'm going to get ready for it. Yeah. So I signed up for this box and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get back into this. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a new scene. It's, it's fresh, that kind of thing. Um, I had met the owner um, at the time and we got along really well. Um, I think he was, uh, he was happy that I knew what I was doing Mm -hmm. and he was fine to kind of not let me coach at the time, certainly not, but he was fine to kind of let me help guide other people, um, through things, especially like, you know, little tweaks and stuff. Like if somebody's doing a kettlebell swing wrong or, or something like that. Um, you know, CrossFit is, is full of people that are, uh, well seasoned, but not coaches. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was me right. for a, for a little while, um, and um, it and, it's, w- and it's different in that environment when when a gym is first starting up, then you have normally anyway under under most circumstances you would probably have mostly members that haven't had a hell of a lot of experience with the sport. You wouldn't necessarily because I mean otherwise you'd be in order to find athletes that have a tremendous amount of experience in the sport they'd have to be coming from somewhere else, whereas a gym that's just starting up, they would probably have predominantly new people. And so those few individuals that do have a fair bit of experience are looked to that much more as um, models for the the other athletes that are in class. Not just the coaches that are at the front of the room, but anybody in the room that seems to really move well, know what they're doing, have the ability to answer questions. Um, You know, they, they wind up taking an implicit leadership position. Um, in an environment like that. 
Yeah, that's actually that's a really good term for it. Just you, you become a leader, not not so much a coach. Mm. Um, and people can look towards you. I know, you know, the a lot of the uh, strategy around building a box isn't getting people from other boxes to join. It's getting people off their couches. Yeah. Um, and those are also the people that uh, get excited about the sport and, and talk about it in communities that don't know about the sport. Right. So, you know, as a leader there, um, you know, I was a leader in that box for almost a year before I went and got my, my L1. Um, and really, I got, I got my L1 because I knew it was an opportunity to sort of legitimize that knowledge that I had gained over the last like three years or so. And and put it to put it to good use, not like in my community mm-hmm. and in my community for that, you know, in in, my, in that CrossFit community, because I knew that, you know, he was crying for coaches, mm-hmm. you know, to be quite honest with you. And uh, at the time, it was one of those things where I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to sign up and be a coach and uh, and learn how to do this and and kind of legitimize everything that I already knew Um but also check myself a little bit and say, you know, how much how much do you really know and do you really understand this? Mm-hmm. So the the process of going through that training to to get my level one um, was was also about kind of personal personal growth. Mm-hmm. I've uh, you know my my experience in in becoming a coach is kind of similar. Um, you know, I had taken, I'd thrown myself into the sport, spent a lot of time, um, trying to learn the movements and, and get the mechanics right. And over time I I was starting to show a degree of proficiency with the movements. And so the people that were newer in the class that I was frequenting were asking me questions the same way as they would have been for you. (laughs) And so at a point, there's a certain amount of uh, a responsibility that you feel to, to make sure that you're conveying the information correctly, first of all. But, um, you know, to me, like I've got, uh, clients that are, um, that are in the medical field. And, and one of the, the phrases that they use is, uh, see one, do one, teach one. Mm-hmm. And the, the, that exercise of the learning process in the medical field applies here in a strange way. You know, you, you observe, you learn and observe how to perform something, mm-hmm. then you actually perform something. And then if you really want to get good at it, you teach others how to do it too, right? Because all of a sudden, that that uh, that analytical switch that flips in your brain, so that you know how to communicate to someone else how to perform that movement, makes you analyze the way you move better, and so it, it winds up being a little bit of a cycle. You wind up becoming better at the movements themselves because you're actively going through the process of teaching someone that's brand new how to perform those movements. Um, that's, that's been my experience is uh, the coaching makes you better at the doing part of things. Um, and that's one thing that I've really enjoyed about the overall coaching experience. I've become a better athlete through coaching. Um, and it's something that I, I guess I kind of intuitively knew would happen, but experiencing it is a kind of a different thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, certainly, uh, learning how to coach something changes the way you look at the way people learn it. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, another thing that, you know, it's almost seems trite is, you know, the more people that you're coached by, the more you learn how to coach better. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, 
you know, and, and you, we kind of get thrown into these situations where in a, when, when you're in a fairly small community and, um, you know, classes get shifted around or whatever, or, mm-hmm. you know, the owners go away and, and the other coaches have to pick up. Right. Um, and you know, I, I, we ran into this, uh, you know, our, our, our box owners went away for uh, a much needed vacation and, uh, you know, wound up teaching a number of different class times that I, that I wouldn't have normally taught and right. seen some new faces and, uh, and, you know, wound up kind of teaching some people things in ways that they, you know, in terminology that they'd never heard before. Yeah. Um, and I always remember, you know, there, there, there are a few things that really, really stick out from learning my L1. And, and one of those, one of those lessons is, you know, uh, you know, which cue is the best? Oh yeah. You know, and yeah. it's, 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 you know, is it, is it, is it the voice cue? Is it the touch cue? Is it the, this cue or that cue? And of course the answer is the, the best cue is the one that works. Yeah. Right. So we all have our way of, of coaching things and, and periodically, uh, you know, you, you'll either hear somebody say this to you or you'll say it to somebody else. You're like, I've never heard that described that way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a personal growth journey, journey as a coach, uh, as an athlete, uh, yeah. as the leader in the box. Yeah. Um, everything. And I, you know, I think that having become, when you become that leader in the box, having that ability to, to help somebody else or, or recognize that somebody else m- might need some help, but yeah. isn't asking for it or is, you know, God forbid, putting themselves in a dangerous situation that you feel like you should intervene on. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that takes a certain type of personality. For sure. Um, and you know, I, I'm fun, like that, the library of cues that you wind up uh, kind of uh, instinctively flipping through and trying to figure out what what's going to work for that athlete. Um, you know, you give them one cue, it doesn't result in what you're looking for. So you give them a different cue, word it a little bit differently, or emphasize a different word, something along those lines. <laughs> you know, it's it's a learning experience for sure. And and one of the challenges that I found in having particular time slots and seeing the same athletes on a regular basis rather than having a different set of athletes in front of you on a regular basis, which is one of the things that I think the owners of the box generally get the best feel for because they'll see more time slots over the course of the day than anyone. Yeah. Um, You know, those of us that only teach a couple of times a week or certain specific classes, we tend to have a specific time slot because like the athletes, there's a time slot that works for our schedule. Um, And so there are some pros and cons to that. We certainly get to know the athletes that we see on a regular basis. And so we, we, we don't have to flip through the Rolodex of, of different options um, for them in the same way, because we've, we've got enough experience with those athletes that we know what type of cue works for that athlete on a given movement. Um, but it also means that our, our ability to flip through those different options, um, you know, it, it doesn't get tested the same way yeah. as when, we see somebody new and right. that, that's something that I really like when, when we get an opportunity to jump around to different time slots and get to see new people or, or all of a sudden it's like, it's fresh, it's new. It's, we have to, we have to start coaching, uh, in a different way because we haven't seen that athlete before. Um, and when I've traveled around other boxes, I've, I've experienced that receiving it as an athlete because, you know, you walk into a box, they don't know you from Adam. So no. they're going through that same process. They know you have experience because usually if you're dropping into a box, they're going to ask what kind of experience you have. Yeah. 
but they don't know what kind of athlete you are. They don't know what cues you respond to. They don't know what your limitations are. Even if they ask you, you know, do you have any limitations that I need to be aware of? Well, yeah, I have a shitty overhead squat. So, you know, <laughs> perfect. I have bad shoulders. That's in today's workout. Oh, great. <laughs> but they don't know what cues to give you. So no. that's something that they learn as they go. They'll They'll give you different cues. And that's something that I've appreciated when I've gone to other boxes is I've heard different cues from different types of coaches that all have different backgrounds and different experiences. Yeah. Um, and so, and that helps my library grow as well. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, anytime that I, I visit another box, I'm paying particular attention to how those coaches work a room and how they interact with their athletes, not just when they're interacting with me, but what mm-hmm. cues are they giving everyone else in the room to? Yeah, for sure. Um, I also think it, it's important to, have the humility to to know when your cues are just not effective. Yeah. And and honestly to to not sit by and let somebody have, you know, a terrible snatch. Yeah. But to say, you know what, you could really use some time with, you know, our Olympic lifting coach right. or or something like that. Um I I had a <clears throat> I had a um a client in in, you know, early morning classes. Um, over the last couple of years who, uh, you know, the ability that was there, the drive was there, the willingness to learn was there, but there was, there was just this very tiny little disconnect Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and she just wasn't, she wasn't getting the timing or, or something. And I'd pretty much run out. (laughs) Uh, and you know, it, you know, she she was strong enough to muscle just about anything, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, when the, when the form is wrong and you can't correct it. And so you, you know, you refer to some, some videos or you refer them to some videos or something like that. Um, or another coach, because you're like, okay, well this coach has, you know, a a larger Rolodex of cues (laughs) or whatever, right. A larger library, uh, to, to draw on or knows how to say things differently. Um, and, and that's okay. I, I feel like that you need to have some of that humility. I think that, uh, you know, people that people that perform their perform their fitness yeah. uh, with that ego um, aren't, aren't serving anybody really. Mm. That's yeah, and you know there are, there are still certain movements in CrossFit that elude me, and so I can coach them, but since I can't demo them, there's one big chunk of the cues that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I wind up having a, a slightly smaller library of, of cues that I can possibly give them, but I commonly say, Hey, you know, if you really want to see this demoed, right, you know, either I'll pick out somebody in class that has that movement, right? you know, like handstand pushups is something that I, I still can't get. I've got a pressing problem overhead. And so it's going to be a while before I get back to the point where I can even attempt them. Sure. But there's lots of people in class. There's lots of other coaches that do a very effective job. Uh, demoing that movement for the athletes that really need that visual cue. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I feel perfectly comfortable being able to describe to the person what they're supposed to be feeling, what the mechanics of the movement are. Um, double unders is another one that was elusive to me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now that I've got them, I feel a little ridiculous that I it didn't click earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Yeah, uh, that's and one of them. and you know, you uh, were one of the people that uh, kept trying to teach me those double unders, and and in my head, I knew I needed them to look like yours do. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't get the mechanics to work that way. Right. But when whenever I was coaching double unders, I could describe them, and I, I would commonly refer to. If you've ever seen Mike Malloy do double unders, that's what you're looking for them to look like. It's mm-hmm. it's the rhythm that you're trying to achieve, right? Um, and that that cue for for those athletes that really needed to to see a demo of that, it worked perfectly for them, right? And that's a that's a skill as a coach to 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 know where the end of your ability is and what the options to complete that lesson yeah. are. Um, Look, I'm the same way in hockey. I teach, you know, I, I coach, I've coached 15 year olds that are, you know, 10 times the hockey player I'll ever be. I've coached eight year olds that are twice the hockey player that I'll ever be. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And that's okay. And, and you know what? They don't care. No, no. They, I mean, you are there and your role, your role as a CrossFit coach isn't to know every single thing about CrossFit. Right. Your co your your you know your role as a coach are to make sure that a you can execute a class yeah and b I hope nobody that trains CrossFit trainers is is listening to this <laughs> <laughs> but but really you know you need to be able to execute a class you need to be able to ensure your client's safety yeah and you need to be able to to follow through with what the workout is yeah. so like class management is one thing that has nothing to do with the wad no. You know, you, you need to time manage, you need to, you know, you need to manage the gaps in, in when you, you're changing equipment or, or, you know, moving from indoor activity to outdoor activity or something like that, yeah. or, um, you know, look ahead five minutes and say, okay, so this is what has to be happening in five minutes time yeah. or whatever. So, I mean, that's, that, that's executing the class for me. You know, you need to, you need to understand the movements so that people can perform them safely. Yeah. Um, and the intent of the movement, so that the in, so that the the intent of the movement itself can be preserved when you, as a coach, scale everything for the athletes. Sure, yeah, you're, you're a communicator first and foremost. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you need to have that ability, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, those are, those are the things. You don't need to be that regional athlete. You don't need to be. You don't even need to be the best one, the most fit, the you know the best CrossFitter in the box at for that hour you don't even need to be that you and i have both coached people that are that are far better athletes sure yeah that that are you know that are elite that are you know scratching at regionals or or something like that and and that's great and i think that you know i think that they still appreciate what we can give them as a coach and it's not just the guy with the key yeah (laughs) yeah exactly what are um what are some of the things that motivate you as a coach um, I mean, the same way that you had an ebb and a flow with your, your like, as an athlete, you had a bit of a bell curve as in your um, in intensity and, mm-hmm. and, and level of interest. What, what motivates you as a coach? I think the feedback that you get from your clients uh, and, and just the athletes in the gym keeps, keeps you coming back. Um, and keeps you trying to learn things like just as you see, I mean, as you grow yourself in your abilities, um, you know, your abilities in the box and your abilities as a coach, Mm -hmm. um, and then watching some, watching kind of your coaching come to fruition, 
um, there's that that positive feedback um, and knowing that that role is important in the box as well mm. so you know for you and me this is it's a side gig right right I mean so we're just you know it's the it's the it's the side hustle um, but it's much more rewarding than you know delivering parcels for a large mail out company or <laughs> right. or something like that you yeah, know yeah. uh you know it, it's in a community you like uh the people are there with a common goal um they appreciate what you're doing for them and if you can if when you see them grow uh that's that 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 feedback loop that feeds your feeds your fire and it 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 it, it fills your bucket yeah for sure. I mean, seeing people learn those new skills, the especially like the the really. I mean, I appreciate the the PRs that people hit when you know they do their heaviest ever deadlift or something along those lines. But to me, those aren't the ones that really stand out. For me, it's the appreciation that that people show when you're able to give them a cue that makes something feel better, feel easier, yeah. Um, or if it's helping them achieve some high skill movement that they haven't been able to get before. Um, or overcoming a fear. I I yeah. stayed after class. I don't know if, whether you were there that day. This was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. Um, I stayed after class for five, maybe ten minutes, hmm. and helped somebody achieve a box jump. You know, I had start, a similar experience. Starting yeah. from like you know jumping onto a couple plates, jumping onto a ten pound plate, yeah. to jumping from a number of plates onto the box, yeah. and then fewer plates onto the box. You know, just the way that you would graduate something like that because this person had a mental block or whatever. Yeah. And um, I didn't realize it, but somebody on the other side of the gym who was working out on the on the weightlifting side of the gym was watching out of the corner of their eye yeah. and said something to one of the owners and I didn't know. Uh, and it sort of came back to me. I don't know whether it was later that day or right. I think it was just in the next day. And, and you know, somebody said, you know, I heard you did a really good thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that wasn't, I mean, that was, it was fun for me to stay like five minutes after and just kind of find a new way for somebody to look at something and overcome a fear and achieve something that, an hour before they were like, Nope. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's not happening. Yeah. I will kill myself. Yeah. So hmm. that, that, you know, that, that fills your bucket. That feeds your fire for sure. Well, on that, on that note, let's take a break. This is going to be the first opportunity that I've had to have a guest physically here for an interview and take a break to do a workout together and then come back and talk a little bit more, assuming we have anything left in our lungs to, <laughs> to, to actually talk with. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll take a break, and we'll be back after our workout. All right. We're back from our workout in my garage gym. Um, how was that, Mike? been a while since we worked out together it has been a while that was uh that was good that was a burner i like mixing uh like a whole bunch of movements that i know both of us love and hate at the same time yeah. snatches double unders anything like that to just kind of mix things up yeah that was it was really that was good um even as a 
as a partner wad. You know it's a good partner wad when your partner's working and when they finish, you're still not sure you're ready to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, couldn't you have done that a little bit slower? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that. So uh, I, I'm curious to know, how do you take what you do in the gym and use it in the outside world? Like, how, do, how, does, how does your fitness, how does your experience... Um, as a leader working with people like how does that translate into your everyday life i think it uh i think one of the things it does and uh i i've i've started my job has changed recently just in the last uh, uh year and a half or so um where i'm i've begun managing people um and it, it's very funny because you know you think about uh the ways that you interact with people when you're in like a leadership role mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's coaching minor hockey or, um, you know, coaching CrossFit at six o'clock in the morning uh, to, you know, a bunch of adults or or managing adults in a in a professional situation. It teaches you. Um, I, I find there's there's a lot of transferable skills in putting yourselves in putting yourself in other people's shoes and perceiving the way that they um, need to be led. Some people require a lot of hand-holding. Some people require you to show them how to do something. Some people just want you to kind of give them the plan and let them go at it. Right. Um, you know, and uh, just being able to being able to read people and, and, and determine what their needs are to accomplish whatever the goal or the task at hand is. Right. Yeah, and that, I mean, that certainly mirrors what we experience at the front of the room and in... in coaching um you know in every class you've got a different set of eyes on you in every direction and some require more guidance than others and some require very little in the way of direction some will scale themselves without even asking others will look for feedback and it 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 is kind of a weird in a weird way it kind of mirrors what you wind up doing in, in a leadership role outside of the gym as well and that communication skill that you practice on a regular basis at the front of a room winds up translating very well to how you're going to do it in the outside world as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really it's, it's, you, you can't, you can't really coach effectively if you don't want to be around people. Yeah. So I know there are a lot of people that take their L1 or take other coaching certifications to make themselves a better athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, by all means do that. If that's your goal um, to sort of hone your own skills or whatever, some people get those coaching certifications so that they can coach, um, you know, just so that it allows them to coach and to coach effectively. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in, at least in my case, and I think in yours, it's it's to be effective around other people and provide that quality service and, and guidance to them. For sure. I mean, I find, you know, well, for me, I'm... I'm naturally a little bit more of an introvert. Um, most people that only have experience with me at the gym probably wouldn't think that. Yeah. Um, because the, the reality is, you know, when you're in front of the room, you wind up having to be a natural extrovert. You know, you have to, you have to lead, you have to entertain, you have to bring people through the workout, you have to uh, coach them in the moment and make cues quickly, <laughs> make decisions quickly. And those are, those are not things that, are natural to me except when I'm in front of a group. Right. When, you know, it's something that I'm, I find I'm able to turn on 
in certain circumstances, but it's not it's not my my default position. It's something that I have to turn on when I know the the time calls for it. Right, but when you think about it, that's that's a persona that you feel you need to present for them to be an effective coach because that's obviously the kind of coach that you like to be coached by as well. I I think we've... we've, Yeah, it's it's probably a reflection of how we respond to others coaching us. Is like we we mirror somewhat what we've absorbed from the coaches that we've had. I mean, you know, certainly when I started coaching, I had been coached by you for the better part of a year before I got my L1. And so that absolutely had an influence on how I presented myself in front of the class. And I would have internalized what I had already learned from all of the other coaches at our box and incorporated whatever felt natural for me to incorporate and make it part of how I delivered the messages as well. Yeah, you, you take the best bits of, of all the coaches that you that you like and, and that's how you kind of build your own coaching style around. There's probably people out there that don't appreciate, you know, the the boisterousness or whatever that, that I bring to <laughs> the to the coaching and just they're just like just leave me alone i just want to work out and, and that's what that's that's totally okay and i i you know you as a coach you have to read that too yeah and just be like okay that guy just wants to do his deadlifts in peace and <laughs> he, leave him alone yeah he doesn't want to be coached you don't need to tell him he's doing a good job you don't need yeah. to you know whatever you know so, some kids some kids some people need that encouragement yeah. um you know some people just need you there to keep them on track like yeah. i you know we've all been there when you know it's uh you know, it's a, it's a power snatch as part of a Metcon and halfway through they start doing front squats or something like yeah. that. Or, and you're like, you know, you got to kind of bring them back into, you know, bring them back into the workout or something like that. So, you know, people need different things from coaches and it, it's kind of your job to, uh, I guess on, on the surface, be able to, to tell where you can best um, activate your skills. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I find, you know, you, you wind up learning, particularly based on who's in the room, not just what cues work for them, but how to deliver that cue. Um, like I find myself uh, when I'm at the front of a room doing a bit of a balance between one-on-one cues and cues to the room that are intended for the guy on the other end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know if, if it's elbows up, you know, it's not like all nine people in the class don't have their elbows up. There might be one that has them down. And rather than calling that person out or running to the other end of the room and there's not an opportunity to get there in time, you just yell it out to the class. And, and But the, the reality is those cues are valuable for everybody in the room at all times anyway, but it's especially valuable for the person that doesn't have their elbows up at that particular moment too. Yeah, and I think you can also take the opportunity afterwards to you know, reinforce something to an individual yeah. um, just in case they weren't getting it yeah. or, or something like that. Or, or just say, you know, you know, look, you, you, you'll work, you won't work as hard if you keep that barbell in the rack position for your, for your front squats. Yeah. You know, I had, I had a client the other day that, you know, held, held that barbell out in front of them. And I'm like, you may be able to do five like that, but get them heavy and try to do 15. And, yeah. you know, you're going to, you're going to, feel that exhaustion in a different place than anybody else here is yeah yeah and it's i usually use those opportunities as as um, my cue to give a technique refresher from the front after everybody's done like you don't do it in the moment but you know whether it's you know if, if we're doing every two minutes then they do their five lifts or three lifts or whatever it is in the two minutes and while they're resting getting ready to go again 
I do kind of a quick walkthrough of what the, what the technique is as a couple of reminders, but specifically focusing on the one flaw that I saw more often than not around the room to make sure that that gets corrected in the next round, or I'll wait until the end and, and do that same sort of thing. So that way you get the opportunity to give them the one-on-one cue, give them the group cue, but then give them a, a, a little bit more of a refresher cue that's not in the heat of the moment. Yeah, and I, I, I think where you have the time to do that, um, you, you, you can absolutely take advantage of those opportunities to, you know, to drive home a point or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, and again, this is, this is the type of, it depends on the type of clientele that you have. You know, if I have a 6 a.m. clientele, you know, at, at 7 o'clock, they're gone. Yeah, yeah, you know you have a limited window. Yeah, so if you don't have that, if you don't have that time to do it, I mean, it's a lot different than if you've got a seven o'clock at night class where people might want to hang around for fifteen minutes afterwards and cool down and stretch and talk and yeah. and that kind of stuff. And and if you've got that kind of audience, um, you know, by all means, um, take those opportunities to revisit or you know bring home uh, or say you know this is this is what I meant when I when I said do this or, right yeah or something like that. Um, again, it's just the, you know, the best cues are the ones that work. Now, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned earlier is, is the fact that, you know, your boys were in hockey. And so, um, you know, you as a parent would commonly be expected or, or have a, have a certain role in, you know, getting on the ice and, and being active with your kids. Is that something that CrossFit has, uh, played a role in? Like, has that made it real? easier arguably for you to because you're you're you know you're not sitting on the couch you're you haven't deconditioned you you've been in the gym you've you've built up a certain resiliency that that can then express itself by being able to jump on the ice and do something with your kids yeah oh for sure i mean i you know it's part of this kind of lifelong fitness journey right um where you know as long as you're on the journey you're in you're in good condition to to pick up and, and help out wherever, <laughs> whether it's helping a buddy move a couch or, <laughs> yeah. or honestly, or, or, you know, getting, you know, strapping on the, the skates and, and being physical enough yeah. to go help. You know, I've been in, I've been in dressing rooms and some of the, some of the dads are like, you know, you're doing a good job by helping out. I, I just couldn't do it. You know, I don't, I don't have the ability or, right. um, you know, and, for whatever reason, you know, it might be just that they, you know, they don't have any skills to do that or they have better, they have skills that are better suited to doing something else for the team or whatever. Right. But yeah. it's nice to, it's nice to know that you can, you can do what's, what's asked of you and help out when needed. Yeah. For sure. And I, and I've seen that with some of the, the people that we train too. I mean, there's, you know, we've got grandmothers in the 6am class that, you know, are ridiculously fit. And so they're, they're actively playing with the grandkids when they're here and yeah you know i mean um you know to me that that inspires me to keep doing what we're doing because ultimately i'd like to think that by the time i get to that age i'll similarly have no barriers to playing with my future hopefully not in the near future grandkids (laughs) um you know like the the idea of of having any reservation about having the physical capacity to to do that sort of thing is what makes me fearful of getting old. So I don't want to get old. So I work out like crazy and hopefully, you know, that, that kind of thing, those kinds of fears entering my mind will be so far away that it won't be a factor. Yeah. And I, and I think it teaches you skills to understand your own body as well. So when you get up in the morning and you, you understand why something hurts or, <laughs> yeah. or how to, or how to mobilize it, you know, um, yeah. 
it's it's not necessarily about you know I want to build up enough muscle now so that when I'm, when when I atrophy at ten percent of my muscle mass after the age of forty five <laughs> that by the time I'm seventy I still have some left. Yes, it, I yeah. mean it's not it's you're not you're not building muscle for the future. You're kind of you're building this lifestyle for the future where, um, where you you know you can be active with your kids or something like that. Uh, but also that you understand that that physical fitness is is not. It's not a burden in your day no. or in your week. Um, it doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all of your life. I know mm. I'm, this is probably, <laughs> it's probably a weird audience to say that to. Yeah. Uh, because for some people, it really is. And that's, and that's okay. I, I think you know, uh, this type of you know, group fitness is, is what you get out of it. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, yeah. And, and feel free to take whatever you want from it. Yeah. You know, if you want it to push you to your limits every single time you walk into the gym, that's fine. If you want it to be the hardest thing that you do in your day and it's done at 7 a.m., that's fine too. Yeah. And I don't mind those people. I think they're, I think they're great. You know, you get the, um, you know, just the, the workaday people that, that want to come in and work hard for an hour and then they go home and shower and go to their eight hours of work or whatever. Um, and then there's those people that it's, you know, they enjoy it. It's their, it's their, it's their social outlet. It's their, um, it's what drives them to get out of bed in the morning rather than, you know, let's get it out of the way. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can do, you can take whatever you want from it. Yeah. I've, I've tried to, when, when people are asking me what it is, um, you know, I, I, you know, they say, well, why do you do it? you know, virtually every day or why are you so committed to it? And I said, well, you know, your, your health is basically a leaky bucket. So if you're not going to keep filling it back up again, then eventually it's going to run out. So, you know, the, the hedge against, um, having to say no when your grandkids say, Hey, let's go for a walk or something like that. It's, it's filling the bucket as, as much as you can reasonably fill it while it continues to leak as time goes on so that you've still got something left for, for when you really, want it and need it and you know that's not just about having the physical capacity but you know it's it's good for you to mentally be able to feel like you can be there for your kids your grandkids your neighbors when they ask for you to do something that requires a little bit of physical capacity yeah um we had a a couple of instances over the last uh winter um, where actually I think maybe three or four times we brought, um, the kids hockey team, you know, the, the, the 14 year olds, uh, into the gym and, mm. you know, they see coach Mike in a different light and, and suddenly, <laughs> yeah. suddenly I'm doing stuff in the gym where they're like, Oh, well, I thought I was just a better skater. I had a better <laughs> slap shot than you, but Holy cow, you can do all this stuff too. Yeah. Like, and it, it's eye opening for them because then you start to coach them in, in other things, right? Not just in you know, um, you know, doing a crossover around a circle or, right. or, you know, passing or, or shooting or something like that. But suddenly I'm, suddenly I'm showing them how to swing a kettlebell or how to lift a weight or how to do a Turkish get up or, right. or something like that. And they're like, okay, this is, you're a much broader coach than I ever thought you were. Yeah. And of course, then the next question is, do you do this for a living? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> if you knew what I, if you experienced what I did for a living, you would not think I'm as exciting as you do at this very moment. <laughs> but I kind of like that about, I, I like that about kind of the well-roundedness of my life that, you know, maybe I sit behind a desk and call people and do video calls and, and crunch numbers all day. Yeah. But in the morning I teach people how to power snatch or, yeah. Or how to do a kipping pull up, or um, I can, you know, 
get upside down against the wall and, and do handstand push-ups or something like that. And yeah. people are like, okay, well, I guess that's a little bit more exciting than being able to run a 5K <laughs> on the weekend <laughs> or something like that. Uh, you know, it just, I think it, uh, it opens yourself up to be a more well-rounded human being. Mm. Yeah, that exposure to, you know, completely different aspects of how you, how you are physically can like kind of it can make a big difference like your your overall vision of your capacity as a person changes because you're exposed to so many different things you're not just you know one sport one skill you know you've you've developed a capacity in a in a variety of different areas and all of that winds up translating when you're asked to help your neighbor move a couch you wouldn't think twice about it because it it's not it i mean if you've never moved a couch before it wouldn't matter you you know what your physical capacities are you also know how to lift things safely you know you'd probably be more worried about the person on the other end than you yeah. would be about yourself yeah for sure um you know i've i've certainly found that i mean the one thing is it does make you a bit of a target for when people are moving and <laughs> they suddenly say hey we know a crossfit guy let's Get him to come help us move. That's right. Um, but, I, you know, I'm hoping... We'll set a timer. It. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm hoping to take advantage of that when I finally work on my, my backyard and recruit a whole bunch of CrossFitters to come help me move gravel. So... Yeah, uh, I'll be there. Can't, can't begrudge that that whole thing. Um, what, are, what are some of the biggest changes that you see in athletes from the time they come in to, let's say, you know, six months to a year after they start i mean is there is there any way to generalize the kinds of changes that you commonly see in people that start crossfit um i think i think that there are a few different types of athletes in the gym and you know there's those people that you know they they come out and they go through the onboarding process and you know you, you see them there they have a low level of interest but they kind of keep coming in anybody I think that lasts six months either sort of quiet depending on their personality they they either quietly progress and become proficient Mm -hmm. and sort of look to you in a one-on-one type setting to help them you know grow and achieve and and tweak their um their their uh their abilities or their you know their their skills um or you're going to get those people that have just been dying for this community, mm. uh, you know, group fitness type, though, all those benefits that the community gives you right. and they, they just become, you know, entrenched in it and it becomes, it becomes their life and, and they become everybody's best friend. <laughs> and, and I, I certainly do not begrudge them that at all. Uh, that's been me. And it's been me more than once. You know, I, uh, you know, I called myself unofficially the head cheerleader when I when I moved to this new gym that that we're in now. Uh, you know, I I wasn't a coach. I wasn't I wasn't anything. I was just people were like, "Well, aren't why, aren't you a coach?" And I'm no. Are you an owner? <laughs> no. Then why do you do all this? And it's because I loved it. You know, I loved yeah. the people that were there. I loved the process i i i love the programming um and i'd seen it all before like i I wasn't i wasn't new to it Mm -hmm. i was in a new place um and i was in a place to where i could share all the best things that i knew about crossfit right 
and there, there is a there is kind of an infectious enthusiasm in the people that are new to CrossFit when there's like a large number of them they're all learning together and the excitement of the progress that they're making winds up kind of rubbing off on everybody even the people that have been in the gym for a long time just that that level of energy winds up coming up a little bit it's one of the reasons that I, I kind of like it when we've got a mixture of new people and more experienced people in the same class yeah because they kind of feed off of one another energy wise and it's not because they're competing with one another because they're very often on different ends of the spectrum mm -hmm. but the but the energy level the, the enthusiasm the social atmosphere winds up being really positive as a result of that mixture being there um, in a way that's a little different when it's either all purely competitive people or all completely brand new people um, I find it's nice to have a little bit of a mix because there's, in addition to the coach, there's other people in the class for the new people to look up to and see how, see, see what progress clearly is achievable um, in a, you know, s s arguably more accessible way, depending on what the mix of athletes happens to be. Yeah, and I think it's also important when you do have that mixture that you as a coach communicate to athletes that might have to change a movement that might have to scale, that might have to do a different movement instead that is still pres preserving the stimulus Yeah. to let them know that what they see on that whiteboard, it's not, it's not do or die. It's, yeah. it's guidance and you are there as a coach. And that, I think that is an absolute skill that every coach needs to have is you need to understand both how to manage the workout and manage the athlete and, and help yeah. them understand that, yeah, you know, Maggie's over there doing a, a ring muscle up yeah. or something and, and you're, you know, doing toenails off a box or something like that, or doing some sort of a negative that doesn't make you less of an athlete that like you are there, you are there to take out of that, take off that whiteboard, what you can take off that maximizes its utility for you. Yeah. And you are not there, you know, personally as a coach to judge anybody. You are there to guide them and help them successfully pull every ounce out of their hour that they can. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully grow so that they can continue to challenge themselves, perhaps a little closer to the prescribed movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I've always seen the, the programming on the board as being kind of the straight line through a variety of curves that are going up and down on the graph as far as what people's capacities are and, and skill levels are. You know, you're going to have days where the prescribed is, um, you know, at or above your capacity and other times it's well below your capacity and, and it's, it's going to float back and forth based on where you are as an athlete. But you can easily start below that curve and still get exactly the same intended stimulus that's going to progress you in in the same general skill. You know, if it's, like you said, for something like a muscle-up, doing a negative is going to get you the strength to get there ultimately. So it's still part of the same movement. They're just taking a sliver of it to develop the strength, the skill, the stability to ultimately get to that movement. And every athlete's going to make progress towards each of those at a different rate, too. I mean, you know, we've seen people come in with pull-ups. We've seen people take two years to get a pull-up. Um, and then, you know, four years from now, all their pull-ups look the same. Um, it just, everybody has different rates of progress. And, and, you know, some people pick up certain skills faster than others. The lighter athletes do the gymnastic stuff a little, uh, little quicker than others. 
some of the bigger athletes are monsters when it comes to pulling the barbell off the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody comes in with different capacities that are based on their, their body size, their genetics, and their just their general physical skills. Um, so it's it's nice when we get a little bit of a mix and everybody can kind of see where they are relative to one another, see what the prescribed workout is, and our job as coaches is to kind of guide them to not see it as written in stone that this is what you have to be able to do. It's this is the stimulus we're after. Here's how it applies to you as a as an individual. Um, and it's something that we have to size up fairly quickly in most cases too. Because, you know, <laughs> we might we might only see what the workout is that morning. And if you're there at six AM, yeah. you know, you have to you have to know you you have, just looking at the at the yeah. board, you have to know what the intended stimulus is and make the adjustments to the athletes that are in the room. Yeah, oftentimes I don't I don't I don't peek ahead even at the the, the workouts that uh, uh, that I'm programming or not, not that I'm executing in the morning right. as a coach um, until you know quarter after five in the morning right. and I'm and I'm coaching at six o'clock. So uh, you know familiarizing yourself with uh, so, sometimes the movements uh, depending on what the programming is if it's if it's a, a new movement or an adaptation um, and then kind of being ready to modify that on the fly for people that are going to be in your gym uh, at 6 a.m. So it doesn't give you a lot of time. I I feel like the programming is ultimately also extremely important because Mm -hmm. you don't want to, you don't want to have the programming so elite that, that almost nobody can do it. And you don't want to have an athlete that comes in that says, whatever's on the board, I know I can never do it. I've been here six months and there isn't a damn thing I can do on that board. Yeah. Um, I modify everything and sometimes people are okay with that, but you never want that athlete that isn't okay with that. No, you certainly don't want them to feel discouraged out of the gate because they see everything on the board is beyond their capacity. It's nice to have a mix of stuff they can do, stuff that they can aspire to do. Sure. And for some people, there's absolute limitations. You know, somebody might have inflexibility in the shoulder that is just, it's not going to change. Some people can't get upside down. They're, you know, they're not doing a push up. They're not doing a. They're not doing a handstand push up. They're not doing an upside down push up off the box. They're just not doing it. Or, yeah. or you know, um, people that that for whatever reason can't can't go through that full burpee movement just because you know there's a there's a, there's an inner ear thing or or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to adapt that uh, in such a way that they feel like that programming is coming to them specifically. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, that's a, that's a big value add for you as a coach. Um, and I think that reflects well on people that like the way you coach and so that they will continue to come back to you as a coach. Yeah. Um, as well, I, I think it, it reflects well on the box that, that everybody that's there feels like there are movements that allow them to, um, work to their full potential. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, just having those couple of movements or, or whatever it happens to be that encourages them is is what's going to keep the fire in their belly to keep coming back and, and to feel like they're making progress. Because um, you're, you're right, like otherwise it would be awfully discouraging. And, you, you know, you'd have people not coming back. Not because they can't do the work, but because just the the impact emotionally that it takes to, on them to feel like they can't achieve what's on the board would change what their perception is um, and so the the more motivating the the workouts themselves can be has a lot to do with how accessible 
the movements wind up being. And that, that comes down to the combination, that, that delicate balance of the programming itself and how the coach applies that programming to the people that are in the class. Yeah, that's the that's that individual takeaway for yeah. sure. And that's what that's what keeps people coming back. That's what ke- keeps people talking about it to their friends and and kind of being infectious in that way yeah. where, you know, CrossFit just isn't a thing that <laughs> helps them get 50 more yards on their <laughs> on their drive in the morning. You, you know, you you reference this uh, a, an older woman that that has been coming to 6 a.m. for years and you know she's she's added to her golf game every single day. Yeah. Um, you know wh- whether whether it's that or you know whether it's them saying you know this is it's, it's changed my life. You know I I have people that I work out with every single day and uh, I feel like I'm working out with family or something like that. And and you know added bonus my knees feel good every day and I can I can squat down and pick stuff up without like you know, coming back up with my hand on my back or something like that, you know, grow old without being old. Yeah. Some of the knee trouble that I had when I was running has, I wouldn't say it's completely resolved, but it's certainly not what it was when I was running. And I still run fairly often because it comes up in the programming. Um, But all the other more well-rounded full body movements that we do has built up the musculature around my knee so that now it's not just my patellar tendon taking all that pressure. It's all the other muscles are helping. And so, um, my knees feel considerably better than they did. And I can go out for a 5k run and not have the kind of knee trouble that I used to have. So it's, it's amazing how, how much all the, all the simple things that we do wind up making a a difference in everything else that we do outside, whether it's gym related or not it, mm-hmm. it winds up having an impact um in ways that you don't necessarily recognize until you're asked to do something like that or go out for a game of golf or jump on the ice with your kid to play hockey um not every parent will be comfortable doing that but you know i think that's one thing that i really kind of like about the i mean uh, quite a number of the members at our box are parents and i've never once heard any of them say i can't get out on the sports field with my kid. <laughs> that's that's the last thing on their mind. They're out there doing it all the time. For sure. And sometimes that's because they've done much harder things in the box. <laughs> True. And they've done them yeah. because it said you had to do it on the board. So they're yeah. like, really? You, you want me to do that? And, and you're like, well, I want you to try it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to show you how to do it safely or something like that. Or yeah. they say, oh, I never would have thought I could try that. And you're like, well, you're here. You know, it's, I mean, it's the same, with you. it's the same reason that, you know, like when we, when we do deadlifts in the gym and, and, you know, I, I've had quite a number of, uh, people that don't do CrossFit ask me, you know, why, why do you load up the barbell and, and do deadlifts? And, you know, I, I talk about some of the, uh, some of the older people that are in our classes and even some of the coaching that I've given my mother, um, and, you know, and I've, I've reminded people saying like, if the heaviest thing you ever lift is your laundry then you're in trouble because that means the next time you go to do your laundry, you could put your back out. Yeah. But if you've built up, a, if you've built up capacity and you've built up the, the physical wherewithal to be able to move through space without hurting yourself, and it's at a loading that is more than you expect to have in your regular day-to-day living, then you're going to be fine. You know, that's, that's what independent living comes from is, you know, building up a capacity so that when you're just living your everyday life, you're never taxed beyond your means. Um, and I think that's why we see so many people in, in the gym just ha- not even think twice about going out 
to play basketball with their kid or to run down a field with their kid. I mean, it, there's nothing to stop them from doing that because you're right. They've been asked to do a lot more yeah. in a shorter amount of time in, in an average <laughs> one hour class than they'll ever be asked to do for their kid's football team or soccer team or whatever the case may be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, or, you know, they're being asked to, or, you know, you got to go help somebody, uh, load up something on some shelves in their garage yeah. or whatever. And I mean, honestly, the first time, the first time you get something sort of up at chest level, a box and you have to get it overhead and you, <laughs> you, you're sitting there and you're like, well, how am I going to get this box overhead? Yeah. And, and you, you know, you basically just press it overhead or, yeah. or something like that. And, and you're like, well, where did I learn that skill? Yeah. You know, just as a, as a regular person. I mean, if you're, if you're able to, um, you know, push jerk a box o- over your head yeah. to get it onto a shelf that's, that's two feet above you. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, well, that happened really easily or something like that. Yeah. Or I always, I always tell the story about the, the first time, the first time I, I realized CrossFit was seeping into my regular life. This was years and years ago. I think I was under the couch trying to grab a remote control or something like that. And I, I pull, fished out the remote control and I basically came up in a burpee. <laughs> like, you know, just straight up. And I, and I looked at my, I sort of looked at my feet and went, oh, shit. <laughs> I guess this is good for my life, right? Yeah. You know, how do you get up from being on the floor? Yeah. Um, you know, safely, comfortably, it's functional and, and effectively. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, it is functional, right? Yeah. And there's 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 really no magic to there's no magic to the way those movements, the fact that those movements exist. Mm. You know, as they say, CrossFit didn't invent a lot of these movements, yeah. but they put them into your your vernacular. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it, it, I mean, CrossFit became the shorthand for this collection of movements that we use to practice our, our physical capacity. Right. Um, As you said, and, moving through space effectively. Yeah. And, and, you know, being able to go into a class and do not a random assortment, but a, a, a varied assortment of movements in any given workout. And it, it's constantly changing. And so, you know, you never develop um, one skill over and over and over and over and over again. Instead, you're just constantly changing those those movements that you're doing day to day. So, you know, you're always kind of prepared for anything. And if that's getting up safely from picking up a remote, and so be it. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, so I have one final question for you that I thought would be a, a good one to end on. What is, um, or if, if you have more than one, um, what's, what's your favorite or most standout moment from being a coach in CrossFit? Uh, I think that's a hard one, but one that always sticks out was, you know, ironically helping somebody achieve a muscle up, a ring muscle up, when all I could do was, was coach it with words. Right. So like going through the technique and I had, you know, this athlete was, she was extremely strong and could, could get up above the rings and when doing ring dips, she was fine at doing ring dips. Mm -hmm. And it was really just about stringing all of those talents together. Right. You saw the component parts were there. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And, and watching her do it. And you know, I, it's actually happened a couple of times but with this one was one particular athlete she was just elated 
and like sitting atop these rings, looking down <laughs> at me with like just aghast that she was able to do this yeah. and just helping people kind of put that, put the string of talents together in mm -hmm. order to achieve something that they, they weren't able to see the finish of. Right. So I think that that that's one memory that will, it will probably always stick with me whenever I'm sort of in the gym coaching, um, somebody that I, that I might see, you know, has ability needs a little bit of direction. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's definitely one thing. Hmm. Well, Mike, thanks very much for coming and uh, sharing a little bit of your experience as a CrossFit coach, as one of my CrossFit coaches from the hmm. earliest time on, uh, and for sharing a workout with me, which, which we hadn't had an opportunity to do in a while. Very much appreciated. And, uh, hopefully the, the folks listening to the podcast will, um, you know, take a moment to, to reflect on the experience that they've had with their CrossFit coaches, um, the leadership that, that their coaches have provided to them, the inspiration that they provided to them, and, and just have an appreciation for the role that, that the coach at the front of the room on any given class, on any given day, uh, plays. And, and conversely, the appreciation that, that the coach has for the athletes in the room, because we get a tremendous amount of value out of the feedback and just even the looks in people's eyes when something clicks and, and, you know, we can see that, that they've gotten something as a result of some little bit of feedback that we've been able to give them. Um, you know, it's, it, it is a bit of a feedback loop back and forth between the athlete and the coach. You know, it's, it's not something that we, uh, that we don't, we, we certainly don't take it for granted and it's not something that we get in isolation. It's something that it's, a, you know, a bit of a partnership with the athletes that are in the class. Yeah, I think, I think being open to that feedback um, becomes important just so that we don't become complacent as coaches and also to give, you know, athletes and clients that opportunity to help shape the, you know, the box around them Yeah. Um, and have that input. I, you know, I, I, these are, at the very heart of it, these are fitness communities. And I feel like that communication is important to solidify people's feeling of belongingness in, in those, in those communities. Yeah, for sure. All right, Mike, thanks very much. Appreciate I, appreciate, it. I appreciate it too. Thank you. Time's up on this episode. Time now for the M wrap up. Hopefully, we all have at least one coach like I had with Mike that has inspired us. Think about the last coach that inspired you. Were they aware of how much you did for them and what it meant for you? What did you do with that inspiration? And have you made an effort to share it, to pass it on with others? Mike's experience as a coach is similar to mine. He valued the community he had become a part of, and his, as his knowledge grew and he naturally found himself helping others, it seemed like a natural fit for him to officially become a coach and actively help others improve themselves in the same way. I think that's something that you'll find is pretty common with most coaches that you encounter, regardless of their chosen sport. They're likely in that position with a desire to help, to share their knowledge in the hopes that, of inspiring change in others, young or old. And in some instances, they just might inspire another generation of coaches sooner rather than later. That's it for this episode. If you liked it, please share it. Talk it up among your fellow fitness buffs, or even share it with someone that you're looking to inspire to start their fitness journey. 
I'd love to hear from listeners, and this episode is a great opportunity. If you have a story to share about how a coach inspired you or helped you overcome an obstacle, send me an email at podcast at boxjumper.ca, and I may include it on a future episode. You can also email me at that same address to provide ideas or feedback on the podcast, or you can message me on social media. My handle is at boxjumperover40 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to stay up to date on the latest episodes, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, and you can join the BoxJumper mailing list by visiting boxjumper.ca. Thanks for listening. Lots more to come on the BoxJumper podcast. Until then, stay healthy, wad happy, and wad often. (laughs) 